welcome again to freedom. Normally at this time we would be dismissing our children in the first through sixth grade to their teaching time, but uh, because it's the last Sunday of the month, <clears throat> we'll invite them to stay in with us. Um, let me say welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We're always glad to have you be a part of Freedom Online in that way. And I apologize that you're going to have to listen to this raspy voice today. I did not get this screaming at football teams last night. Uh, <laughs> we are just doing the the loving family uh, giving Christmas thing, and that is sharing a cold back and forth. So that's my turn. And that's why I'm going to keep my distance from you today. I won't meet, greet you at the door or anything today because I don't want to share the love with you in that way. Um, I am really happy to be able to share today with you. It's a, uh, it's a neat thing to uh, t- take advantage of this week and this weekend as we uh, close the chapter not only on a year, but on an entire decade. And as we look ahead to 2020 and the whole decade that is before us, these are always really ripe opportunities for us to, to reflect and to uh, give thanks for where God has worked, what he's done and, and brought us through and given to us and taught us. It's also such a, a pivotal opportunity for us to to think. I've got one, Nick. Thank you. I'm good. Thank you. Um, but to, to think about where uh, God is taking us next and what he has planned in the year and years before us. And so uh, today is going to be all about that as uh, as we look ahead. You don't get to... You don't get to turn many pages like this where you go from one decade into the next in your lifetime. You just don't get to, to make many decadal uh, moves like this. And, you know, when I, I took some time to pause this week and think over the last decade, and I won't bog us down on this, but, boy, it's been a, it's been a big decade. I mean, a lot has changed in my life personally. I don't know about yours. I mean, I think God gave me a wife in this decade, a wife who has just rocked my world in wonderful ways that that's been huge and to uh together to have started a life and bought a house and to have had a chance to plant freedom church and just how different my life is to be a part of this fellowship with you and to see grandchildren come into the world i mean just a lot has changed this decade and it just causes me to wonder what the next decade is going to hold god is good and he has a good plan, and we can trust him with today. We can trust him with tomorrow and with the years to come. But we want to make decisions, choices, goals, and priorities that position us for both maximum impact and for maximum opportunity for God to work in our way, in our lives in positive ways, don't we? So I want to invite you, if you've got your outline, to pull it out. And the passage that John read is our call to worship today. Such a, a perfect text for what we're going to talk about today and, and just for this transition point as we step into a new year. Philippians 3, let me read it for us again. It is a passage that is all about making progress in life. Paul says this, I do not mean that I am already as God wants me to be. By a show of hands, how many of you can already identify with this passage? I don't claim that I am already what God wants me to be. Yes and Amen. I have not yet reached that goal, but I continue trying to reach it and make it mine. That's what we need to be able to say together. I'm not there yet, but I am continuing to press in toward that goal. Christ wants me to do that, which is the reason that he made me his. I know that I have not yet reached that goal, but there is one thing that I always do. Forgetting the past and straining toward what is ahead. I keep trying to reach the goal and get the prize for which God has called me through Christ to the life above. That's a good word, isn't it? Paul said, I I have not gotten there yet, but I am pressing on in this thing. Christ is determined. He is going to finish what he started in me. In fact, that's exactly what Philippians 1, 7 says. That he is faithful and that he will finish this good work that he has started in us. He is making progress in our lives. When, when you pause now and you rewind a decade, think about where you were at the conclusion of 2009, 10 years ago, and where your life is now. Have you made progress or have you moved backwards? Or are you at about the same place? 
And I know we kind of have to segment our, our lives in, into different categories, don't we? Because it's like, well, if I look at myself physically and I look in the mirror, how, how am I doing with taking care of my body? Am I at a better place or a worse place than I was a decade ago? What about relationships? For those of you who are married, is your marriage at a better place or a worse place than it was a decade ago? Your spiritual life, is your walk with God closer and more intimate, more personal, more consistent now than it was a decade ago? When you just begin to think through the different parts of your life, it it really is encouraging sometimes and alarming in in other areas, isn't it, to, to recognize, wow, a decade has passed and I don't think I've done, I don't think I've made any progress here. But in this area, I've made real progress. Well, today is going to be all about that. It's going to be all about reflecting on our lives and in the presence of the Holy Spirit, asking the question, not just, not just for personal, the sake of uh, personal improvement and personal goal setting, but recognizing that what Paul said is true, that this is what Christ is out to do. He is out to take you from where you are to where he wants you to be. So the, the totality of who you are, a child of God, a husband, a wife, a mother, a, a, a daughter, a, a sister, a brother, a friend, a, a leader in the church, whatever your, your roles in life are, that you become the very best one of those that you possibly can be, that your life truly reflects the character of Christ more and more every day. Jesus is committed to your progress. But if we're going to make progress, we can't just sort of ride the wave and let it take us wherever it will. Don't you wish that that worked? Don't you wish that you could just sort of, sort of like when you pull up at the car wash and they just say, just put it in neutral. Just line it up and put it in neutral. Now you're good to go. And from that point, you know, you just sit there and you just ride and you come out all clean. Don't you wish everything spiritually was that way? That'd be grand, wouldn't it? Some of us live our lives that way. We just, we just sort of put it in neutral. We don't really work at anything. We don't really try and do the disciplines. We just sort of go where life takes us and just sort of take every day as it comes, and we don't stress about it. Unfortunately, it's hard to make much progress doing that. Thought, intentionality, and effort are a part of the process. Not, not to get you saved, but as a saved child of God, for you to become the man or woman you're supposed to be, you're going to have to put some thought and effort into this thing. You're going to have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. And here's the really encouraging good news. For those of us who go, oh, please, Lord Jesus, don't let this be another message that makes me think about what all needs to change in my life. I'll be overwhelmed by that. Because if we're honest, we all can feel that way. Like, I don't have enough paper in front of me to make a list of all the things that need to change in my life. Well, I don't have enough paper for that either. The good news is this. God knows about every one of those issues, and he is faithful, and he is patient, and he's not working on all those things right now. He's got his finger on one or two things, and he's saying, right now, as we end this year and we start next year, we're going to work on this, and we're going to give some attention to this. Yeah, I know about all that other stuff. There will be a day and a year for that, but we're going to focus in on these things because I know you can't handle 99 things at once. Aren't you glad God's patient and he's faithful? So as we seek to press into this, all I want to do today is put before you three questions. And it's really sort of three pairs of questions to, to help you really examine your life and to, to use these as opportunities to ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight into where change needs to be made. So I'm going to ask the questions and I'm going to share some thoughts to hopefully prompt your your thinking and your digging in your own life. But I want you to really work at today discerning what the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on because, as I said, every one of us could make a pretty significant list in response to these questions. That is not the goal. I do not want you to try and make a comprehensive list of everything that's jacked up in your life, all the things that need to, to go and all the things that need to be added. That'll overwhelm you. I want you to make this a spiritual exercise. In fact, why don't we just stop right now And let's just, every one of us from our hearts, say, Holy Spirit, I want to hear your voice today. More than Mark's voice, I want to hear your voice. Help me to recognize the issues that you have your finger on right now. Because, you see, 
there's a grace that's being poured out for those issues. There's extra power and help from God for these particular issues. So Holy Spirit, help us to, to hone in on those things. So here's the first question as we consider turning our attention to a new year. It's this. What do I need to put off and what do I need to put on? What do I need to put off and what do I need to put on? Now, let me be clear. When I say put off, I don't mean delay. Some of us are masters at putting things off. I don't mean it that way. What do, th- think in terms of, of like you're you know, putting off dirty clothes. What, what, do I, what do I need to pull off and what do I need to put on in my life? This is the most common kind of question that we ask at the start of any new year. What do I need to get rid of? And what do I need to add to my life? What do I need more of? What do I need less of? Paul, in Ephesians 4, said it this way. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It's a, it's a wonderful, simple illustration. He says, you, every one of us, whether you, whether you grew up in church or out of church, whether you were an, an easy, good child growing up, or whether you were a hellion all the years that you were growing up, regardless, every one of us carries with us some, some ways of thinking, some habits, some ways of talking and looking at people that are just wrong. They're just a reflection of our brokenness, of our sinful hearts. And Paul said that what you've been taught from the very outset is that there's a lot about you, the old person that was you that needed to be saved. Even though you now are in the family of God, there's still a bunch of that stuff that's got to go. Don't you wish it just all went when you got saved? Don't you wish that just, pfft, it was gone, but it did not work that way for me. I mean, I felt like I needed to be dunked again. I got saved and I got baptized, and lo and behold, I still, there's a lot of that old me that was left. And you realize what Paul's talking about is true. It's like changing clothes. You got to do it every day. You put on fresh clothes, fresh clean clothes every morning. Put on clean iron clothes this morning, but you know what, tomorrow morning... I'm going to need some new clean clothes because there's something about it. When it gets up against me for a while, it starts to stink because that's my nature. There's just something foul and broken here. And life is that way. Every day there needs to be a putting off and a putting on. And those two go together. In your life, there's got to be an equal amount of putting off and of putting on. Have you ever tried... To put on more clothes without taking off what you already had on. Have you ever done that? Most of us probably have. <clears throat> you ever been in a clothing store and you're just feeling too lazy to go in the fitting room? You're already fully dressed and you're looking at that shirt and you don't want to buy it without trying it on, but you're just too lazy to go to the fitting room. So it's like, I'm just going to try it on right here on top of what I'm wearing. How many of you have ever done that? Yeah, me too. It doesn't ever work, does it? You put it on and it's like, you know, you're about to pop out of it. Yeah, I think that fits real nice. It, it just doesn't work. you got to take something off to put something on. Now, we're all like, duh, preacher, like we needed you to tell us that. But in life, we need somebody to remind us of that. Because here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll step into a new year, and, and we'll be so idealistic that we'll say, oh, I'm going to start. I'm going to start going to the gym four times a week, and I'm going to start all these new new health habits and i'm going to start reading my bible and praying an hour every day and we you know we just come up with this list of all these things that we're going to do without figuring out what we're going to stop doing you, you add on i mean how many have just got an extra four hours in your day every day nobody life's already full so you're not going to be able to pack a bunch of new things into your life you're not going to be able to put on a bunch of new things unless you put some things off so a good starting point is to ask what needs to be put off? What do I need to, to lose? And so many times, we at this time of year are real prone to, to think in you know, real physical terms and go, well, I'll tell you what I need to lose. I need to lose 30 pounds. That's what I need to put off. 
well, that's fine if you want to make health goals. I mean, those are certainly worthy goals, but let's don't just settle for that. I think Paul has in mind things that are are rooted more deeply in our hearts and, and our minds. What are the things about the way that you think, talk, and live that really need to change? I mean, maybe when you consider your life, if you're honest, you might say, what comes out of my mouth needs to change in 2020? I go to church and I sing God's praises, but I get out in the world and cuss like a sailor. And I, I say vulgar things that, that don't honor the Lord and don't advance the kingdom or his reputation. Or maybe what comes out of your mouth is not consistently truth. And you just realize, I've got to learn to tell the truth and not just lie to, to say what's convenient all the time. Or maybe what you realize is what comes out of your mouth way too much of the time is gossip. None of us ever like to admit that we like gossip. And the truth of the matter is most of us love it. Proverbs says the words of a gossip are like a choice morsel. They go down to a man's inmost being. It's just like all those Christmas treats we just just gobbled up this week. Gossip is just like that. Taking it in and letting it back out, sharing it. And maybe if you're honest, you say, boy, if I could change one thing, it would be to stop taking part in gossip. Or maybe it's just negativity that you realize I speak so many critical negative things about about other people, about myself, about whatever's going on. I'm just I've always got such negative words coming out of me. I mean, we could just go on and on down the line. It's not always just about what comes out of your mouth. It may be about the thoughts that go through your head. Or I mean, maybe maybe you realize if you you say if one thing could go, maybe it would be. How frequently your mind turns toward lustful thoughts. At, at just, you know, naturally undressing people with your eyes or letting your eyes go to places that they shouldn't go or spending time reading and looking at things on the computer. And that, that's the thing that needs to. Maybe when you think about what needs to, needs to heave-ho in your life, what needs to be pulled off, maybe a relationship. It may be a romantic relationship that just... It really doesn't bring out the best in you. It, it tends to take you to bad places. It may be a friendship. It, it may be somebody that you end up spending a lot of time with and you just realize, my tank is always emptier when I'm with this person. Instead of more full, they, they drain me and I'm going to have to set some healthy boundaries so that I'm not always around them getting pulled down. Does anybody besides me ever feel that way about relationships? Like, do, do, do you recognize the people in your life who fill your tank and those who drain it down? Now, we don't get to kick out everybody who, who draws off of us. We need to love and help those people, but sometimes we've got to make strategic decisions. Some of the best decisions I've ever made in my life is to identify people who were just relational vampires who were sucking me dry and to decide in the coming year I'm not hanging out with them because they're bad for me. So first of all, to identify what, what are the one or two things above everything else that need to go and then the flip side of that, okay, what do I need to put on? And, and might it be something that would specifically help to counter that? For instance, if, if I have issues with gossip or negativity or even just foul language, the things that come out of my mouth, maybe what I need to put on is that I'm going to be intentional to speak words of affirmation to people around me. I'm going to find ways to compliment and because I, I'm going to say something. And I mean, I mean, you know, the scripture is so true. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And, and it may be that you realize that death is what's been coming out of your tongue, just sort of slow death, just things that tear down. And so I, I'm going to speak something. And so I'm going to have to be intentional. I'm going to speak life. People love it when we actually... I mean, from the heart, can encourage them and compliment them. It can be things just as simple as, has anybody told you you just got a beautiful smile? Has anybody told you just what lovely eyes you have or that color looks good on you? Or just, I just appreciate so much being around you. I just, I, I, I love your friendship. I mean, just little things that would build up. It may be that what you put on ends up being a decision like in the coming year, what I need to do is to find a place to begin to serve God and others in my church or in my community. And you may say, well, how does that counter any of the negative stuff? 
You know, it's surprising that when they really study people who just, as a for instance, get into inappropriate relationships or get in bondage to things like uh, sexual addictions or pornography or whatever, how much of the time it is not driven by sex drive so much as it is by just boredom. That that's what, what stirs so much of that along. Well, instead of just having time on our hands to pursue those kinds of things, to, to give ourselves to service, to commit, to give, to give away time, making a difference in the lives of others. It, if the thing that you're putting off is an unhealthy relationship that you really need some boundaries in, don't just put off without putting on. M- make a determination. If I'm going to set some boundaries so that I'm not with this person so much anymore, I need to be intentional to decide who am I going to spend time with this year? And what's that going to look like? Am I going to be intentional about targeting one or two people that I'd like to explore having a real friendship with? Maybe I need to get into a small group to pursue relationships there. Maybe I need to get into CR and, and pursue some healthy things on the relationships that would unfold there or a discipleship group. But be strategic in figuring out what you're going to put on and what you're going to put off. Paul says in Romans thirteen twelve, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. You see, once again, putting off and putting on. But now, let me point this out. There are, there are some traps. Changes can be hard, can't they? And we probably a lot of us have a track record of having good intentions come January 1 and a lot of failures by the time Valentine's rolls around. Changes can be very difficult. So I just very quickly want to point out to you three traps that can trip you up so that hopefully they won't. just going to mention these quickly. The first one is the trap of perfectionism. You are not going to have a perfect 2020. And if you seek to make any significant change in your life for the coming year, you will not do so perfectly. And some of us in this room, some of you watching and listening online, I count myself in this category, have a real streak of perfectionist in us. And the problem is we tend to be all or nothing. We sell out for whatever new thing we're adding in, whatever new discipline or whatever we're getting rid of. This is how it's going to be. I'm I'm committed to it. I'm not going to go back. And we do it perfectly until the day that we don't. And on the day that we stumble, we go, well, that's it. It's out the window. I blew it. So I might as well just quit trying. We're so black and white. We're so all in or all out. Perfectionism is a trap. And stumbling is a part of the process. Change is a process. And God is committed to working the process in you and in me. And setbacks are a part of the process. If you struggle in an area big time, and it's been a major part of your life every day. Let's just use, for instance, we we use the example of the words that come out of your mouth. If it, we'll just make it a real easy one in terms of just the example. If, if, you, if the language that comes out of your mouth is something that really bothers you and you, you want to see that change, but if that has been a consistent part of how you think and talk every day for a long, long time, don't think that because we talked about it today that you're never going to curse in 2020. There's a 99.9% chance that you will. But what you don't need to do is go... I just dropped the F-bomb twice today, so what's the point in even trying? I knew I could never change. I'm just a, I'm just a sailor at heart. I'm just going to always curse. No, you don't give up because you didn't do it perfectly. Second trap is the one-and-done trap. And some of us, because we've come from particular um, religious traditions, are more prone to this. The traditions where everything is about a moment of spiritual transformation. You got prayed for, and so, whoo, it's fixed. I'm over it. I got delivered. I got, John, I don't need CR. I'm never going to want to drink again. I'm never going to want to smoke again. I'm never going to want to do pills again or look at porn again or whatever. Because I got touched. I got it. I'm, I'm free now. Don't you wish it happened that way all the time? And most of the time it doesn't. The putting off and the putting on is not a one and done. I took a shower this morning. I put on clean clothes. The bad news is... I get up tomorrow, I'm going to be stinky again. 
I got to take another shower. I got to put on clean clothes again. I can't just say, yeah, but I really meant it when I showered this morning. I mean, I did it hard. I did it right. I meant it when I put on clean clothes. I'm not going to need to ever do that again. I wish that were the case. I get tired of taking showers. I get tired of shaving. I mean, I can shave hard. And I'm still going to need to shave again tomorrow. There are things you've got to do every day. And the things that you struggle with the most, there's a good chance that every day for the rest of your life, you're going to have to say, oh, God, please today give me grace so that I don't speak this way, that I don't think this way, that I don't run back to these old things that are such a natural part of who I, I want to be. Third trap is this. It is the it-doesn't-feel-right trap. When we make significant changes, it doesn't feel good. I mean, it does for a moment. I mean, it feels so good to be like, Woo-hoo, Jesus has got the victory in my life, and I'm so much closer to God, and I'm just so proud of me, and I know Jesus is so proud of me. That feels real good in the moment, but then walking that out day after day after day, it doesn't feel so good. Because it doesn't feel like you. You you get put in situations where the pressure's on a little bit and you start wishing that you were right back in that old familiar relationship with that person who's bad for you, but they were familiar. And you feel like, I made a mistake getting away from them. You, you try and learn to speak blessings and speak positive things instead of speaking negative and gossip or whatever. And there's going to come a time pretty quickly where you start going... I don't think that's who I am. This just feels so weird. I don't feel like I'm. I don't feel like I'm even being true to who I am. Speaking all this positive stuff. I'm just a negative person. I'm pretty comfortable with that. I kind of like me being a negative person. It's not going to feel good. It's not going to feel natural to begin with. But you're going to have to do it again and again over weeks, and it's almost like muscle memory. You remember the scene in the old original Karate Kid movie, Mr. Miyagi and Daniel, Daniel Son. Very important. Wax on, wax off. Left hand wax on, right hand wax off. Breathe in through nose, out through both. Very important. You breathe. Wax on, wax off. You remember that? Some of you are looking at me. Everybody under 25 is like, what is he talking about? Mr. Miyagi is teaching the kid how to do karate, but he's teaching him a discipline that he's going to learn muscle memory in doing certain tasks so that when, when he needs to, to use this when he's in a match or in a fight, that is just natural. You don't even have to think about doing these things, creating muscle memory. When you do the right thing again and again, it's like wax on, wax off. You, you get to the point, it's going to become natural to speak positive instead of negative. It's going to become the natural thing to turn away instead of going, I think I need to take a double take on that, a triple take on that, and get a good look. It, it will begin to feel right, but it's going to take time. Romans thirteen fourteen, Paul says, but cl- <clears throat> Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and forget about satisfying your sinful self. The thing that's so important in this is you're not going to get there through strong will and just effort at self-improvement. Now, a few in the room, a few watching and listening online will get pretty far through that. And that's kind of a scary thing. There are a few of us who are so stubborn and so strong-willed that for a season, we'll accomplish the things that we're talking about without any help from God. And that's a scary thing. We are so strong-willed, we can just, just white-knuckle it. We can white-knuckle ourselves sober. We can white-knuckle ourselves clean. We can white-knuckle ourselves out of the bad for a while. But I want to tell you, if you think that that's the answer, you might want to get a good close-up look at the Pharisees because that's what we're working on becoming, where we learn to be righteous apart from Jesus. By the way, can I chase a rabbit for just a second? The co- yeah, something I just said made me think of this. The coolest thing that I discovered over the holidays this year. Have you ever heard of the new series called The Chosen? It is fantastic. It is an independent, um, it, 
It's not on regular TV, but everybody has access to it through the web. It's an independent series. This, the first season has eight episodes, but they're hoping to do several seasons of this. It is the story of Jesus and the apostles done at a fantastic level. And it's going to take several seasons to cover the totality of the Gospels. But they take, in really healthy ways, they take some great um, creative liberties to just give the backstories on each of the apostles and the people that Jesus interacted with. I have never seen anything that I thought was so well done and so engaging. I mean, go ahead and get ready to binge watch this thing. Because after you've seen one or two episodes, you're going to have to watch the whole of season one. It's free. All you have to do is Google or uh, go to the App Store and just put in The Chosen, and it will let you have access to all eight episodes for free. And it, like if you've got a Roku TV, then you can just throw it up and watch it on your, your TV screen for free. But it, if you're, maybe you're a little bored with your quiet time, maybe you're a little turned off to reading the Scriptures, you want to get just sucked back into the Word, I have never run across anything that's this well done. It, it's really good. Okay, so there's my commercial. It, it just, it's been that good to me. But I, I, the thing that made me think of that is you get a good look at the Pharisees in this too, particularly Nicodemus, re- really interesting. One final word, uh, Galatians 3.27. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. And it may be that some in the room, some of you watching and listening online, It may be that the most important thing that you need to put on in 2020 is that you put on Christ. Because none of the other improvements that we're talking about have any staying power apart from the presence of Christ and His power in your life. So I encourage you, make sure that that piece is the first piece that's in place. That in the things that you are putting on, if you you are already a believer, pressing into Christ is going to be the most important piece of what you add in the coming year. Now these next two will go more quickly. Number two, the second question. Where are the closed doors and where are the open doors in our life? God's word's clear that he has a plan for us and it's a good plan. Are we agreed on that? It, it would be a little scary if you knew all of God's plan and all of what the future holds. I mean, when you think back over the last 10 years, are you like me in that there's been a lot more good than bad, but if I had known the bad in advance, I'd have wound up at Cersei or somewhere where you'd probably had to put me in a rubber room because I'd have been so stressed about the, the bad. God in His grace doesn't let us know all that's coming. We can trust Him with the future and know He has a good plan for the future. But the question really becomes... How do I tap into God's good plans for the future? Because the last time I checked, he doesn't give us a download where it's just like, oh, well, good. Now I know the 2020 plan and I can just walk with God this year. It doesn't happen that way. God's plan is not delivered. It's discovered, isn't it? It's discovered pretty much a day at a time. So how do you discover God's plan? Obviously, a big part of it involves seeking him day by day but part of that one element in that really does involve open and closed doors now i want to be clear about this because at times we've poked fun a little bit at people who live all of their lives saying that they're doing it based on open and closed doors and usually what we mean when we say open and closed doors is well it wasn't easy so it was a closed door or it was easy and that was an open door. And that is not what we're talking about. I want to show you from the scripture what we mean when we say open and closed doors. 1 Corinthians 16.9, Paul says this. There is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. There is a great balance in this verse. Paul's writing to the church in the city of Corinth, but he's writing from Ephesus. Paul usually didn't stay in one community for a very long time, but he stayed in Ephesus for a long time. And the reason he stayed there so long is because he said God showed him that a great door of opportunity had been opened there, but every day he had a lot of opposition. So it being easy was not the definition of an open door. So what made it an open door? Quite simply, it's this. When we talk about an open door in your life or in mine, What we mean is where God is clearly at work, where there is spiritual fruit. And we we know through life experience where God is working in a big way and where real fruit is coming, there usually is going to be opposition, isn't there? 
You get that? Are you with me? Tune back in if you, if you tuned out, because this is an important piece. As you think about the year ahead, what are the open doors and what are the closed doors? Because I need to learn to recognize where God is at work. Open doors are simply where God is working, and it may oftentimes come with opposition. But here's the good news in that. There are open doors that are about to come for you. I don't know which ones they're going to be, but for, for some, your open door is going to be in the area of finances. After you've struggled and struggled and struggled to get out of debt and to get ahead, God's going to give you an open door in the area of finances. For some of you, God's going to give an open door in terms of a relationship. For some, it'll be a romantic relationship where it's just been closed doors. Closer for some of you, God's going to give you an open door in terms of a career opportunity, of a ministry opportunity that's new for you. And he's going to be at work, and he is going to, there's going to be fruit, and he's going to be in the middle of it. And it's going to be good. But you need to be discerning about what doors are open and what doors are closed. Because some of us are exhausted from years of trying to get the doors open. Have you ever been there? You ever just been at a place, you knew what you wanted, and God wasn't making it happen, so you did everything you could to pry the door open, to kick the door open, and you've just worn yourself out trying to get in the door. Sometimes we'll do that in terms of a relationship. I'll hear young people, man, they hit a certain age, just, I want to be married, I want to be married, I want to be married, I want to have a baby, I want to have a baby, I want to have a baby, and we just, they, they'll start going out with the sorriest dog in town because they are determined to get married. If God doesn't open that door, I'll just slither on through it. I'll get under it. I'll get around it. You can get yourself in a bad place trying to open a door that God hasn't opened, can't you? But here's the beautiful thing about when God opens the door. Revelation 3, 8, the Lord says this. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. That's a good thing to know. Because sometimes we get afraid. Like, oh my goodness, what if... What if I miss the open doors? What if I miss the person? What if I miss the job? What if I miss the opportunity? There are certain things in your life that just don't matter a whole lot. That if you do them, God says, wonderful, I'll bless it. And if you don't, I'll still bless you anyway. You realize there are plenty of things that are going to be that way. God's your father, and he loves you, and he's not uptight about a lot of the things that you do in life. I'm not talking about moral choices. I just mean things that happen. I chose this. I didn't choose that. And God goes, great, let's have fun with that. But there are some important things that need to happen. That God says, I'm going to open that door and the devil nor anybody else in your life is going to be able to shut it and you don't have to stress about it. You don't have to go, we've got to hurry up and make this happen. We've got to hurry up and get to the altar. We've got to hurry up and get out of school so we can start this career. And God's going, you don't sweat that. I put this in your heart. I have opened a door. You don't see how it's going to work out, but nobody can shut this door because when the time is right, I'm going to just send you sailing right through that open door, and nobody can shut it. So you just rest in that. That's good news. But what does that look like, and how do we discern these open and closed doors? I want to share a passage with you from Acts 16 where Paul gives us a real good glimpse of, of what it looks like to have to deal with the issue of open and closed doors from God. Paul is on one of his missionary journeys where he's traveling from the heart of Palestine around the northeastern portion of the Mediterranean. And he's going through, uh, the scriptures refer to it as Asia Minor. It's what we today would call Turkey. And that's, that's where he's doing most of his ministry is at this point. He thinks he's going to spend most of his time in Turkey doing that. And so in Acts 16, beginning in verse 6, we read this. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word on the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. Can I tell you something as an aside? Some of you are scared to death to read the Bible in a small group or when other Christians are around because you're afraid you're going to run up on a passage like this and be like, oh, I don't have any idea how to pronounce all that stuff. Make it up. <laughs> Just make it up. And everybody will go, how did they know how to read that? You just plow through it like a freight train. I don't care if you call it Mycia and Bithynia. They'll go, oh, I didn't even realize it was pronounced that way. Just make it up. And seriously, if it's from the Old Testament, you may not realize this. The entire Old Testament in Hebrew 
doesn't contain any vowels. Biblical Hebrew is only consonants. We have to go back and add the vowels that make a best guess. So we're kind of making up how it sounds anyway. So how can you mess that up? So just say it. Okay, I know not most of us are geographic, ancient geography scholars. So you read all that and it's like, well, what's going on? It's really easy to explain what's happening. Paul starts in southeastern Turkey. Turkey is shaped generally like the continental U.S., it's, it's sort of an elongated rectangle. And he has started in the southeast, and as he's working up through the middle of the country, he's naming off the places that he thought he'd go and do ministry. And he says, I thought, we would, I thought we'd go to Bithynia, I thought we'd go to Galatia, I thought we'd go to Phrygia. And at each of these different points, as he's working his way across the country, the Holy Spirit's going, nope, not there, nope, not going to let you go there, not going to let you go there. And finally, he says, eventually, we got all the way to Troas. Well, Troas is all the way at the western end of the country. If you were to just, it's not as big as the U.S., but if you were to overlay Turkey on top of the United States, here's the equivalent, the U.S. equivalent of what Paul has just said. I started out in Jacksonville and Miami doing ministry, and as I started working my way across the country, I thought I'd go up into the upper Midwest, into Ohio and Indiana and Chicago, and minister there, but the Lord wouldn't let me. And as I made my way across the Great Plains states, I thought I'd go up into the, the northern states, to the Dakotas and Montana, the big sky country, and the Lord wouldn't let me go up that far. He just wouldn't let me go there. And finally, I found myself in Seattle, and there's no more country left. I'm just looking at the ocean. That's the, the exact equivalent of what he's done in Turkey. He's worked his way all the way across, and he's looking at the Aegean Sea. He is to the last city at the outer edge of the northwest corner of the country. And he's like, God, I thought I was going to Asia Minor, going to Turkey to minister here. And everywhere I try and minister, it's just a closed door, a closed door, a closed door. The Spirit won't let us do that. Don't know what's going on. So he's in Troas. During the night... In Troas, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, you may hear all of that and say, Okay, what's the big deal? He went to Troas. Had a dream. God said, go to Macedonia. Who knows where Macedonia is? What's the big deal? Let me tell you, of everything we could read in the New Testament, in terms of impact on you and me, there aren't many verses in the New Testament that have had a more profound impact on us than what we just read. Because of all the places, of all the directions that God could have sent Paul with the gospel, he chose to send him to Europe. He didn't send him to the Far East. He didn't send him to Central Asia. He did not send him into Africa. The call to Macedonia was the first call to take the gospel to the West and to Europe. And as a result of that, that's where he's being called is into Greece and Albania today. And ultimately into Italy, which is just right across the Adriatic. Because of that call, Europe becomes Christian. And North America becomes Christian. This is hugely important historically. Well, what's the whole point here? Why am I telling you this story? Well, a couple of things. In order for Paul to get to the open door that God had for him, he had to first recognize several closed doors. And, and that begs a bunch of questions like, what's wrong with ministering to the people in Bithynia and Phrygia and you know, all of these northern regions of Turkey, they don't they need Jesus? They sure do. The whole world needs Jesus. But newsflash, Jesus isn't calling you to the whole world. Jesus has an assignment for you. He has a calling for your life. He has a plan for how he wants to use you. And you don't get to just pull out a map of the world and throw a dart and see where it lands and go, that's where I'm going. The Spirit of God has a calling for your life. And when you find it, it's fruitful to look at Eileen Creek out here, and I think Eileen has a calling to Guatemala. You can't keep her out of it. I don't know why. People in Nicaragua need Jesus. People in El Salvador and Costa Rica need Jesus. But he called you to Guatemala. I see Anne out here. 
and is called to the Republic of Georgia, of all the places in the world. Georgia. A lot of other people need Jesus, but the open door is in Georgia for Anne. God, and I'm not saying everybody's got to have a country, but you have a calling. And you're going to need to get clear on the closed doors and the open doors. And you've got to be real careful not to let the closed doors discourage you. Now, one of the things that's significant in this story is Troas. Paul gets to Troas, and it seems like he's at the end of the line. Like, I don't know what else to do. There is no more turkey. I mean, he has arrived at the equivalent of three days after Thanksgiving. No more turkey. What do I do? There's no more land. Where am I going to go? Troas is the place of waiting. Some of you are living in Troas. You've, you've experienced a bunch of closed doors. You've been disappointed by some things that you tried to do. And you're just living in Troas. Some of you are in a relationship with Sam Troas or Susie Troas. Troas is just the in-between. Troas is the fill-in while you wait for the good thing. And you've just been dating old Sam Troas. I wouldn't marry him. Some of you work at Troas Incorporated. It is not the career that God has for you in the long run. But it's paying the bills right now. Paul wasn't out of the will of God when he was in Troas. But he was frustrated. He was curious. He was unclear. Troas was critical because it was the place where God spoke and gave him a revelation of what to do next. It wasn't in detail. It was just enough information to know where to go next. Macedonia. All he's told is, hey, I'm from Macedonia. Why don't you come over here and help us? Paul doesn't get a detailed explanation of what helping us is going to look like. He just got up and said, boys, I know where we're going. We're crossing the Aegean and we are going to Macedonia. Here's the thing we need to learn from that. Paul did two things in the face of a bunch of closed doors. Instead of giving up, he kept believing, and he kept moving. You may want to write this down. God always does better working with moving objects. God always has much more success working with moving objects. We get discouraged, and we want to shut down, and we want to quit. Well, that didn't work. I tried it. I tried to do something big for God, and it didn't work. He must not want to use me. He must be mad at me. I must have missed my calling. Something's off. This doesn't work. Well, you don't throw up your hands and just sit around and quit. You keep moving. You keep trying. You keep believing that God isn't done with you yet because he has a calling. And the good news about closed doors is that it is a reminder, hey, if, if something got closed, there's an open door that's coming. God is at work, and he's going to show me what that is. So, God, will you help me to see in the coming year and years the closed doors and the open doors instead of trying to force that? Because I'll say one more thing, and I'll move on to the final point. It's very brief. If we're honest, a lot of us have got a very big stubborn streak. And we get hung up on what we want to be an open door, don't we? And we'll get so hung up on it that even when God closes it, we'll just camp at that door. Have you ever done that or have you ever watched somebody do that? They'll get in a relationship that God says, that is not the relationship that I have for you. That relationship tears you down. It doesn't build you up. And I want you to get out of that. And he will he'll speak or even sometimes he will close the door. And sometimes we are foolish enough, we will just camp at that door. I just love him so much. I'll wait for him. I'll just stay right here. Sometimes the best thing we can do is wise up and recognize that God said, I'm the one that shut the door. Why do you want to hang out with a fool that I told you to stay away from? Sometimes we are so determined that this is the person or this is the thing that I wanted to spend my life doing. I was just so determined that I was going to have a career in this or I was going to work at that. And God said, yeah, you thought. But that was only for a little window of time. And I've got another open door for you, but you're not going to get to it till you get over the closed door. You've got to walk away from that closed door and keep on moving. 
Don't let stubbornness and familiarity keep you from moving on to the door that God's got open for you. Third and finally, final question. (coughs) Excuse me. What is most important and what is truly unimportant? And this is all about priorities. As we turn the page to a new year and a new decade, we need to to be discerning about what has just seemed important and what really is important. One little excerpt from the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. Jesus said this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do you hear in Jesus' words an issue of recognizing and setting priorities? More important than seek first. I mean, all of these scream, some things are more valuable and more important than others. And he says, you can get tangled up on all kinds of things. You can get hung up on what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, how you're going to look, who... All of these things about appearance and what you feel. But he says, realize those things aren't as important as your life and your body and the kingdom. And so one of the things that we need to be asking is, what have I tended to value that really isn't valuable? What have I acted like it was really important that really in the grand scheme of things isn't important that I want to stop investing so much time or money or thought in? And what are the things that I truly do value. If my body and my life and the kingdom, if these are the kinds of things that I'm supposed to value, then what are the adjustments that I could make in the coming months and coming years that would really reflect appropriate values and priorities? What are the things that you're going to do in the coming year that will add real value to your life? Do you ever just stop and think about that? I mean, there are some things you're going to do next year you're just going to do because you got to do. You're going to work a bunch of hours. You're, you're going to, you know, spend a bunch of time doing some things that you just have to do. But what are the things that you don't have to do that aren't really adding value to your life? And what are some things that you could choose to do that add real value? I, <clears throat> I wouldn't pretend to be able to sum everything up, but... I'll tell you what cuts to the chase pretty quickly for me when I think about it is the choices that I make to prioritize the things that I can do that will strengthen my relationship with my wife, with the Lord, with my closest family and friends, and the things that I can do that will help me to better take care of my own body so that I just actually feel healthy and good and can engage in what I'm called to do. Those things add real value for me. So when I think about setting priorities for the coming year, I do think in terms of what can I do that will add real value to the time that I spend alone with God. Let me say something that maybe lets a little of the air out of the balloon in that department for some people because I think it's real easy for us to set unrealistic goals at the start of a year in terms of pursuing a deeper relationship with God. And it's like, I'm going to pray 30 minutes every day and I'm going to read the Bible five chapters a day or, you know, whatever. We set huge goals. Why don't you do this if you struggle to be consistent in prayer and with the Bible? And nobody's here to beat you up over that. That, That's a struggle for most people. Why don't you make it your goal to read the Bible less time per day every day in the year ahead? How's that for a weird goal from your preacher? Make it your goal to read less but to do it more often so that you begin to build a habit. Because if you set some goal to read a bunch every day, you'll probably crash and burn in January. But instead, why don't you just, here's one option. You could start with us on January 1st, beginning through the readings, our church-wide readings in the Old Testament. Just a chapter a day. Take five minutes a day. Read it or listen to it. Download the um, the version app on your phone. You can listen to it driving down the road. Just start in Genesis 1. Five minutes to listen to Scripture. 
take five minutes in the Word. Five minutes to pray and to listen. Take two or three minutes to just tell God the top things that are on your mind. And a couple of minutes to just be still and quiet and think about what you read and just have your heart open to anything that God would bring to your mind. Instead of setting a goal of 30 minutes, 45 minutes, or an hour alone with God every day, set a smaller goal and make it your goal to be more consistent and just let that grow over time. Does that make sense? If that's a priority. What, what, could you, what relationship could you prioritize? Or, or maybe the thing that's just ringing the bell for you is it is time to take better care of your body. You know, everybody wants to run to the same kind of stuff. It's like, okay, I'm going to start this fad diet in January, or I'm going to go to the gym five days a week starting in January. Please don't. It just kills me. I'm like, all of you who are going to go home in three weeks anyway, just don't take up all the machines in January. I'm sorry. That's just my fleshly appeal. But seriously, it's like if, if exercise is going to become a part of the routine, great. But determine if I'm going to value this and prioritize it determine what you got to let go of because don't just be adding more stuff on cut something off because i'll tell you the other thing you're going to need more of you're going to need more sleep or you won't stay in the gym so determine what really isn't important and cut it out so that you get more time in bed more time to take care of yourself you got to create some emotional and mental reserve and physical reserve so that you can do the things that really matter now, having said all of that, if you, if you just really had to hone it down, thinking about what, what do I need to put off and what do I need to put on, what are the open and closed doors, what are the things that are really important, what are the things that have just seemed important, what are the one or two issues that you feel like the Holy Spirit is putting His finger on and saying, let's work on this one in 2020? I want to see you make progress here, and I want to help you make progress. I want you to take some time to wrestle with that as we, as we pray and sing this morning, but I want you to take your outline home, and I want to ask you to take some time this week, sometime during this, these last few days of the year, the first few days of 2020, and prayerfully ask God about this. In fact, I'll just invite you, in some of your quiet times here the last few days of the year, read and talk less in prayer. And just bring this issue before God. Just say, God, I'm going to think about my life in your presence. And as I'm doing that, now I'm going to ask your Holy Spirit to get involved with my thoughts and to guide me toward those things that you want to work on in my life. This is called meditation. This is Christian meditation. And see where God takes that. And then get specific enough to just write out, Lord, what could I do? What adjustments could I make? What needs to go away and what do I need to add? Are you game to do that? Think that would have value? Well, let's ask God to get in the middle of all that. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your love for us and your commitment to us and that you are at work in us, patiently changing us to become the people that you would have us be. We don't claim to have attained it, but forgetting what's in the past and pressing on toward what's ahead, we we reach forward toward the goal that you have set. We want to honor you. We want to become like Jesus. Or for some of us who need for the first time to come to know and trust Jesus, I pray that you give gifts of faith. If that's what you need to do, would you just, from your heart, you can just do it in silence. God hears your heart more clearly than even what comes across your lips. Would you just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. I need your forgiveness I need your wisdom and your leadership for me. The best I know how, I'm giving you all of who I am and what I have. Would you lead me and use me? God, I thank you for the gift of forgiven sins and for the gift of making us your sons and daughters. I pray as we consider our lives, Lord, first of all, just a prayer of thanksgiving for all the good that you've brought our way. Thank you for how you love and care for us. And we pray, God, for wisdom, for direction and grace for the things that you have before us. Show us what needs to be taken off. Show us what needs to be put on. Would you give us eyes to see doors that you're closing, courage to make those changes, courage to walk away, 
And would you show fresh, open doors of opportunity? I pray that you'd speak in surprising ways in our lives. We thank you for what is ahead of us. Thank you that even as the new year's about to dawn, that you're already putting new opportunities before Freedom Church. We give you thanks for that. We pray for discernment in those things. Holy Spirit, we welcome you, your presence, your leadership, and your voice. And we pray this in Jesus' name.